go on and actually hear me preach. I'm kind of shocked myself. But anyway, so she always posts that. But we were trying to find the first time that we met Brother Austin. It's either 2013 or more than likely 2014. So I've known him a good while. And I guess the best compliment that I can give this young man, because I know, knew him when he was still in school, in high school, and, and uh, he's been consistent. And I've never seen anything out of him that makes me question his love for God or his desire to want to serve God. And that says a lot. And uh, I've been with him at camp. I've seen him in rough spots when his team was losing. More importantly, I've seen how he acted when he won. I've seen him in high spots, low spots, and had the privilege of meeting his wife before they were married there at West Coast. And, and uh, same thing. She comes from a great family. Uh, both of them, Brother, Brother Cowling's been an assistant for years at First Baptist, a dear friend, and, uh, and her dad is a wonderful missionary uh, over in uh, Cambodia, uh, does a great job, and so uh, your, your mission dollars, would, there's some you're going to have this week I don't know, but I can promise you if I was pastoring, I would want to support this couple, and uh, just, uh, they love God, they love the Lord, and they're not lazy, they work. Amen. I've watched him work. Volunteer, help out anything you need done. Now, since he's been on the road, not so much. And, and, uh, but that's understandable considering he's on the road. So, uh, Brother Austin, I appreciate you. I will be with the man that he's going to be working with. Brother Sisson, I'll be there in June, be preaching a soul winning conference and revival for him, along with being in Manila uh, over in the Philippines in June. Brother Sisson's a great man, great mentor. He's going to be working with a good missionary, and that's important as well to be trained. And the fact that he realizes he needs to go and work with someone says a whole lot about his maturity. Probably more about his pastor and daddy that said, you're going to work with someone. But we're, <laughs> we're going to give Brother Austin the credit on that. Amen. <clears throat> Genesis chapter number 47 tonight. Thank you for being in the Lord's house. Thank you for the great comments uh, for the message last night. I hope it was a help. I know it may not have been earth-shattering in material, but hopefully God said something to stir your heart on the Great Commission. And uh, as I've been praying uh, since last night, the Lord kind of started working on my heart on this message. And uh, I don't know that I've ever preached it out over the years, just to be honest with you. If I have, I can't remember. And, you, and I kind of redid it today, so we'll see how it goes. And the thing about being a pastor is I could try everything out on my church, and what didn't work didn't ever get preached out. When you're an evangelist, you don't have that luxury. You just got to try it out on whoever will let you, amen, and y'all are the people tonight. So uh, I do believe it's what the Lord wants. Genesis chapter number 47, let's start reading, very familiar story, the story of Joseph, and uh, we're going to pick up in verse number 13, verse number 13. If you understand the Bible, Genesis 42 to 47, chapter 42, verse 1, really to chapter 47, verse 12 is a parenthesis passage. And then when you get to verse 13, you're picking back up where it left off in Genesis 41, verses 53 through 57 on Joseph and Pharaoh and Joseph taking second command. So in verse number 13, the Bible said, And there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt... And all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the corn which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. 
And when money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence, for the money faileth? And Joseph said, Give your cattle, and I will give you for your cattle if money fail. And they brought their cattle unto Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses and for the flocks and for the cattle of the herds and for the asses. And he fed them with bread for all their cattle for that year. When that year was ended, they came unto him the second year and said unto him, We will not hide it from my Lord, how that our money is spent. My Lord also hath our herds of cattle. There is not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land be not desolate. And Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, For the Egyptians sold every man his field because the famine prevailed over them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, and as for the people, he removed them to cities from one end of the borders of Egypt, even to the other end thereof. Only the land of the priest bought he not, for the priest had a portion assigned them of Pharaoh and did eat their portion which Pharaoh gave them, wherefore they sold not their lands. Then Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I have bought you this day in your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is seed for you, and ye shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh, and four parts shall be your own, for seed of the field, and for your food, and for them of your households, and for food for your little ones. And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants." And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt unto this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth part except the land of the priest only, which became not Pharaoh's. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to preach on this thought tonight with the help of God, how to thrive in turbulent times. How to thrive in turbulent times. Father, I love you tonight. Lord, I need your help, so I pray you anoint me and use me. Thank you, God, for your grace and your goodness and for salvation. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for this church and its pastor and his wife and family. And I pray you bless them in a mighty way. And thank you for Brother Austin and and his wife. And Lord, just for the calling on their life. Thank you for their dedication, their desire, and determination, Lord, to get to the field. I pray you raise their support as quickly as possible. And I pray you use this young couple in a mighty way. I'm excited, God, to see what you're going to do in their lives. Bless now the message. God, we need you. We thank you for yesterday, but that was yesterday, and we need fresh bread today. So anoint me and use me, God, and may your people be helped, encouraged, and strengthened is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. May I say tonight, if we're honest, we can look at the times, and I I could use multiple terms and we would understand what I'm saying, but we live in turbulent times. You look at what's going on in the past year and you look at uh, interest rates higher than I've, I've seen them since for a long time. I remember a time that, that if you would have told me as a young man that I would have to pay 7% on a car loan, I'd say they're robbing you and now that's mortgage rates. Prime is up and inflation is up and, and, and groceries are up. I've got seven children still at the house, one in college, and, 
and an older son that's married and him and his wife and their grandbaby. And, and I'm just telling you that, that, that we, our family, has felt the crunch. Financially, I, I travel the world and, and the country and, and, and plane tickets are up and gas prices are up and rental cars are astronomical and hotels have gone up and what used to be normal is not even normal now. I mean, we're seeing a day that just it feels like we're being squeezed from every direction. And on top of that, the pastor wants to have a missions conference. And he wants us to pray about giving the missions are increasing. Are you kidding me? The nerve. How, how can God expect me to live? How can He expect me to make it when, when it just seems like I'm barely existing? Now, I'm sure there's people in here that maybe have not felt the crunch as much as others, but whether you make a lot or a little, it's just we're in turbulent times politically, economically. Who would have thought we'd be in the day we live in with just a lot of the things going on? You know, when you come to the life of Joseph, I think sometimes we forget, how we get so caught up in the relationship aspect of Joseph and his father and dealing with his brothers, he was also managing some very turbulent times in Egypt. By the time Joseph faces this time of trouble, he has already, in my opinion, become a master of dealing with turbulent times. Just think about the trials and the troubles he faced before he gets to this. His mother dies while he was young. That in itself is a crisis. His family's in a state of constant upheaval. There was jealousy, hatred, and infighting within his family. He's betrayed and sold into slavery by his brothers. He's lied and falsely accused of in Egypt. He's imprisoned. The butler who promised to forget about or promised to help him forgets about him for over two years. He's suddenly promoted to a position of prominence and, and power and responsibility. He suddenly finds himself occupied with preparing an entire nation to deal with a famine. But you know what's amazing? In every one of these instances, Joseph displayed exceptional wisdom, faith. And spirit. And I believe in the passage at hand that we are uh, privileged to witness how the Lord used Joseph and how Joseph handled some turbulent times. As a means of introduction, may I simply say very quickly that there's some things about turbulent times we need to understand, some, some things that, that allows us to, uh, to, some questions that we need to answer just as a means of introduction. This is just introductory thoughts, but the first question that may come to your mind, well, who is, who is capable of, of handling or who is capable of having to go through turbulent times? And my answer is all of us will go through them. The whole nation of Egypt, the whole, the whole world of that day, no world of that day was dealing with this trouble and with this problem. May I say, listen, there is no running away from trouble and problems that's going to come in our life. Sometimes it seems like we're just moving from one problem to another, to another, to another, barely able to catch our breath. But may I say another question that I think that, that turbulent times causes us to ask is, Who's the one giving me instructions? I think that's important. 
When this trouble comes into Egypt, when this turbulent situation comes, the people are told to do one thing in Genesis 41, verse 55. Go unto Joseph. And what he saith to you, do. From that moment on, the people of Egypt had one purpose. They had one duty. They had one voice. You know, Pharaoh had the wisdom to say, ignore me for a little while. This man, you know, a good leader knows their strengths, but a, good le- a better leader knows his weaknesses. And Pharaoh, for being an Egyptian Pharaoh, maybe all the faults, this man knew he did not know how to handle this, but he knew Joseph did, and he gives him his ring, and he says, outside of me, you're in charge of everything. And he tells his own people, just do what Joseph says. You know, I think sometimes it takes turbulent times, troubling times in our lives to remind us of our purpose in life, does it not? Sometimes we forget who needs to be giving the instructions. It's not that we're not getting all kinds of instructions. It's who we're going to listen to that's giving those instructions. We find ourselves sometimes doing things the Lord doesn't want us to do or being what God doesn't want us to be or being someone the Lord doesn't want us to be. And if we are saved, then it is our first and foremost duty to simply obey God, even in troubling times. We're to be who He wants us to be. We're to go where He wants us to go. We're to do what He wants us to do. Our primary obligation is simply to yield the totality of ourselves to Him and allow Him to use us as He sees fit. And there's nothing like turbulent times to make you rethink just who's giving the instructions in your life. No one wants to come to the end of their life and say, I wish I'd lived my life another way. I wish I had done something else with my life. Whether we're in turbulent times or not, or troubles or not, we need to ask ourselves a few questions. What am I doing? Am I doing what God wants me to do? Am I being responsible and obedient to Him? Crisis causes us to ask, who's giving instructions? But may I say that that problems and troubles and turbulent times cause us to ask, what is important? When this trouble come in Egypt, suddenly... Things like money, possessions, power, position meant nothing. What good is money when you have no food? What good are lands and power and stuff when you're starving to death? These people wanted to survive and they knew their possessions would not see them through. They needed help that they could only get from Joseph. Can you see the correlation If we're going to make it through turbulent times, then who's giving the instructions matters. Pharaoh said, go do what Joseph said. Joseph is a type of Jesus. You want to know how to make it? You want to know how to be successful in this missions conference? You want to know how to to thrive when everyone else seems to be faltering? Just do what Jesus said do. I preached years ago on Mother's Day where Mary looked at the servants and said, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do greatest instruction a mama could ever give her kids, the greatest instruction a leader could ever give his people, just whatever Jesus says, just do it. Just do it. 
Can I say in this missions conference, you want the pastor's wanting? He's not wanting you to, to be cajoled or forced or pushed or primed and pumped. He simply wants you to do what Jesus says do in regards to missions. If we all obey Jesus, this church will have everything it needs to move forward. This church's missions program will please God. This church's money will please God. If we just do what he says, and I'm saying sometimes these type of problems and situations causes us to determine what's important. Sometimes as we go through life, we get focusing on things that do not really matter. And when that happens, we might lose the things that really do matter. You think about people who put their jobs ahead of their families. Who put recreation ahead of their marriages. Who put plans ahead of God's plans. Who, uh, who put their lives to gratify their flesh and satisfy their wants with no regard for what God wants for them. Turbulent times, troubles and problems has the power to cause us to rethink the things that are most important in our life. When turbulent times comes, we're reminded just how valuable that relationship with that spouse and family is. We're reminded how important the church is and the man of God is. We're reminded how important the relationship with Jesus Christ is. By the way, we shouldn't have to wait for turbulent times or a crisis. We ought to look at what's important. Who really comes first? What really comes first, me or the Lord? I was giving counsel to someone today this afternoon on the phone and, and this is a good person but they're just struggling with some things in their life and, and, I, and I, the Lord immediately, I'm always praying, Pastor, I'm sure you do too, as you're giving counsel because I understand this person's, their life may hinge on what I'm telling them. And the Lord immediately brought Joshua 24 to my mind and, and I immediately went to Joshua 24 and I said to this individual, I said, look, you need to understand, Joshua looked at Israel and he said, look, God said to you, I've given you a land that you didn't have to, to do anything with. I've given you houses you didn't have to build. I've given you vineyards that you didn't plant, fields that you didn't have to plant. God's saying, I've blessed you. I've done every good thing to you. So what I want you to do is fear me and serve me in sincerity and in truth and put away other gods and after he says that Joshua then says looks at Israel and says to them if it seem evil unto you now that word evil don't mean that they thought it was wicked to serve God it meant that word evil there simply means if you think you will be better off serving these versus God go ahead but what's amazing is he says it without saying it. He says, go serve the God of the Canaanites whose land God gave you. Go serve the God of the Amorites who you conquered. <laughs> you know what he's saying without saying? You're going to go serve losers. You're going to serve gods that failed everyone that ever trusted in them. Or you can serve the God of heaven. But it's your choice. See, God's not going to force any of us to do anything tonight. Then Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we 
I'm just telling you up front, I've seen both sides. I've seen what the little gods do. I've seen what the idols do. And I've seen what my God can do. And Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm saying that turbulent times will cause you to reevaluate what's important in your life. And they ought to cause us to figure out what's important. It ought to cause us to realize who's giving instructions and what's important. And then the other question I would say introductory, that it ought to cause when turbulent times come is, do I have integrity? The word integrity simply simply means the quality of strong moral principles. Being whole and undivided. You will notice that all the land in Egypt come under the authority of the throne. Except for the lands of the priest. Pharaoh said, I'm not touching the priest's land. The priests were cared for by Pharaoh. Their needs were met by decree of the king. Joseph was unwilling to take over the sacred things, for they were more important than the immediate trouble and problems. And when we're thrown into turbulent times, we learn what is truly important to us. We find out what we can't live without. We find out what our principles really are. Are we discover that many things that we love and cling so tightly are mere fluff. When hard times come, we find out what truly matters in life. What are the things you wouldn't be willing to give up under any circumstance tonight? What is it that you wouldn't sell? Turbulent times reveal those things to us. We will hold on to things that truly matter and gladly turn loose of the things that do not. You see, the problems and troubles of this life do not make us, but they do have the power to reveal what we are made of and what we value in life. What integrity we have. I think about Matthew 7. The, you know the story very well. Two of the houses look the same. One was built on the rock. The other was built on the sand. They look the same. The storm did not change the houses. The storm just revealed what the houses were standing on. If you've built your life on the shifting sands of this world, then the problems that come will destroy your life. But if you founded your life on the bedrock of God's words, then the turbulent times will not take away the things that matter most in your life. Integrity. Why did Joseph thrive when others around him failed? I believe it's because he saw every moment as a God moment. He realized that God was at work in him and around him all the time. Thus in everything Joseph did, he did and sought to honor God. In good times, he lived for the Lord. In turbulent times, he lived for the Lord. Joseph understood that in all of life, even in the times of turbulence, all of it was God's plan. Now, what does that have to do with missions? Oh, I believe it has to do a whole lot more than we may realize tonight. Because in this passage, I believe we see some things Joseph did and required. Would you not say that these people are in a mess? God said in the dream, you're going to have seven years of plenty. But then in the two different dreams, he shows how the years of plenty are going to be swallowed up by the the, the years of famine and and they're going to be so severe. And Joseph said in the interpretation, it's going to be so severe and so, so pressing that you're going to forget that there was even any plenty to begin with. I think sometimes in America, we forgot just how good we had it. 
I think sometimes we forgot just what all God's given us in liberty. I think we took advantage or took for granted the freedom we have even to assemble and go to church. COVID kind of reminds us how quick that could be taken. Y'all listening to me tonight? I'm talking about turbulent times. I don't know about you, but I want to thrive. And I'm telling you, listen, God gives us some principles that I very believe are very mission appropriate with missions and missions giving. Because sometimes, you know, we understand, well, the tithe, i got to give that, or I'm a God robber, and God's going to let lightning strike me, and my car crash, and I'm going to be in the hospital, and I won't make it. That's kind of how we think sometimes. Which God's so merciful, aren't you glad He doesn't do that to us? Then, you know, and I know we're supposed to give, you know, pastor's birthday and anniversary, and preachers come through, we got to take care. But missions, you know, that's just kind of extra. I want us to look tonight. I understand that probably finances are not great for a lot of people, or at least the ones that I seem to talk to across the country. It was amazing during COVID. I pastored for half the over a little over half the year of COVID, and and it was amazing. I pastored in the mountains, and your pastor will know here, and even more importantly, where he where he worked at with Brother Tharp there in Massachusetts. That if you miss a Sunday in the winter because of snow or something, it's hard to make up hard to make up spiritually, financially, and though money's not what, what, what we focus on, but as, as our church, to miss a Sunday always hurt us financially because we live from week to week and month to month at our church. And I remember when COVID hit, and I thought, how are we going to make it? Many pastors called. How are we going to survive? We're not only having to shut. Now, I know some churches didn't shut down at all. We did not shut down over government mandate. I shut down our church for a short time, and we went to, we was already set up with live stream online giving, and I did it for one reason. The Lord told me to. And the Lord said, testimony for our people in the mountains. Everyone was scared. Whether they had reason to be or not is irrelevant. They were scared. And to not shut down would have been viewed in our community as you don't care about us. And God said, I'm going to have a good testimony of those that are without. So we shut down. That don't mean everyone else should have. I didn't condemn, condone, or congratulate. We're independent Baptists. We do what God tells us to do. There's no manual. There was no Jack Howe's church manual to pull out. There's no Barnhouse manual to pull out and say, okay, what do we do in this situation? There was none. So we had to pray. I called older men. What are you going to do? I don't know. What are you going to do? No one knew. Give your pastor a lot of credit. He, he had to navigate uncharted waters. But it didn't catch God by surprise. So we shut down. And I remember doing it. And I thought, God, we're in trouble. We're going to go under. My family's going to starve. Church bills ain't going to be paid. What are we going to do? You know what I found out by the end of that year? And I've talked to hundreds of pastors. I only know one that said their finances went down. Every other church I've talked to said COVID was one of their best years financially. You know what I believe God just wanted to remind preachers, if nothing else? I don't need people sitting in the pew to take care of my church. I know how to take care of my church, and it's His church, and God took care of it. And I hope it showed Christians the importance, and and it, it amazes me, but now in 23, I'm talking to people, and we're not in COVID, we're out, we're having services. And already this year, I've talked to multiple pastors that said, man, finances are down. They're down for the quarter. We've got our business meeting. we got bad news. We're, 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 we, we don't have the money to meet budget. What are we going to do? Been hearing that for about the last six months, eight months or so. How do we handle it when turbulent times come? 
I believe, listen, the advice was clear in 4155 of Genesis. Go, Joseph, what he says to you do, and I'm paraphrasing. And that's what the people did, and they survived this trouble as a result. The people were brought to the end of themselves. They were brought to the end of their own resources. They turned to Joseph because they knew there was no future apart from him. Can I tell you what God's simply looking for us to come to the place that we realize there's no future apart from Him in our life either? What Joseph did was to take steps to save the nation. He took steps to bring everything in Egypt under the authority of the throne. And I want you to notice those steps and I'll be done tonight and hopefully redeem a little bit of time. Notice verses 13 and 14. The first thing he did was he took control of their purses. There was no bread in all the land. For the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of famine. So what's Joseph do? Joseph gathers up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan for the corn which they bought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Joseph took control of all the money in the land. All the people immediately are placed on the same level. There were no longer rich people. There were no longer poor people. There were just people. Every dime was brought under the control of the throne. May I say, how do you thrive in turbulent times? Our money needs to be brought under the throne. We should strive to bring every cent we possess under the control of the Lord. And let him use it as he sees fit. We're going to see in a moment, it's not ours anyway, it's his. But I'm telling you, Joseph looked at this people and said, if you want to make it, you're not going to make it by hoarding your money. You're not going to make it by holding your money. You're going to make it by putting your money under the control of the throne. Can I tell you, it's a hard lesson sometimes for young Christians to learn. Sometimes it's a hard lesson for all to learn. But it's a lesson we need to learn. We can do better when we just say, God, it's yours. What do you want me to do with it? It's not mine. It's, it's not what I've worked for. You say, but preacher, I've worked hard. God gave you the breath. He gave you the strength. He gave you the intelligence. He gave you the ethic. He gave you the wisdom. Everything we have is because of a just creator. If we're going to make it in this day, we need to realize it's going to be because of him, not because of who we are. He, he put their purses under his control. Secondly, in verses 15 through 17, the money failed. They said, hey, give us bread. We don't have no more money. Verse 16, Joseph said, give your cattle, and I'll give you for your cattle if money fail. So they bring their cattle and their flocks, their horses, every animal they have, which was there, if I can put it this way, he brought their possessions under the control of the throne. When the money runs out, the people trades their livestock and their possessions for food. And now everything they possess is under His control. Just got a simple question tonight. Shouldn't that be true in our lives? 
Everything we have should be dedicated to the glory of the Lord. If you possess anything that cannot be dedicated to the Lord to be used for His glory, it has no place in your life. I had a man one time at the church and I said, Hey, can you go pick up so-and-so on your way? He said, No, me and my wife will be riding in the Cadillac and I don't want them in it. I said, Then I'd sell the Cadillac and I'd buy a Pinto or a Volkswagen or something that I could use for God and get people to church. If you have anything that you can't use for God's glory, you don't need it. Joseph said, I can take care of you. Do you believe God can take care of you? But you want to know how we're going to make it? Through turbulent times, I hope it gets better. It may get better. It may get worse. I'm really not concerned. What I am concerned about is making sure that all my, all my purse, my money, my finances belongs to Him and that I really believe that. And that all my possessions, you want your kids to make it? Give them to Him. You can't raise your kids right without His help. We need Him. I had to learn that the hard way. And I say that I was a pastor and I had multiple kids by this time. But I always, and it's not that I was trying to be prideful. I'm just going to lay it out there honest. Uh, Just in my opinion, my younger kids did what I did and didn't rebel and submitted because I knew how to bust their backsides to get their attention. And it worked. Then I had one kid. How old were they? Do you remember? Uh, when they made the statement to us, and no matter how many whippings, she'll come in a minute. Normally she remembers. I didn't mean to put her on the spot. So they kept getting notices from school. I was the principal of the school, by the way. (laughs) That they weren't doing their work right. And they were hiding the notices, thinking somehow they were not, we weren't going to find out on the principal. And we waited, and we knew they had them, and we waited, and they kept hiding them. And finally, we approached them. Do you remember now, babe? Huh? He was seven? Okay. I said, he, that still don't tell you nothing, because I got four of them. <laughs> so you got a 25% chance of getting it right. <laughs> and, and this kid... His mama is talking to him and saying, why are you hiding these? Your daddy's the principal and the pastor and he gets reports from the teacher. And Why are you doing this? And you're being dishonest and you're not doing right. And finally, that's a conversation when you know how parents do. And finally she said, do you think your dad and I are that stupid that you can do this and get away with it? And that child said, yep. Now, the fact that they had the gall to say that is beyond me. I prided myself in batting, I mean, whipping my children. And I've never abused my kids, but God gave a a spot for them. And and I remember my my wife thought for sure she misunderstood this child. And she said, no, no, wait a minute. I don't think you understand what I said. You think me and your dad are that dumb, that stupid, that you can do this and get by and not be found out? They said, yep. She brings, she calls me. I think I was at the study. I come, leave the study, pastor, come to the house, get to the house. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, my wife's just, you know, she, she's misunderstood. There is no way any kid of mine thinks I'm dumb. Just ain't happening. I get in there and I said, okay, now, now listen, son, 
Your mom said this, but I know good and well that, that you know, she, she's had to misunderstand. And, and, and so I want to hear from you. You think that your mom and me are so dumb that you could do this and get by. And he said, yep. I said, get in the vehicle. We're going to the study. Now, when my kids had to go to the study, for it was bad. Because we went to the study, then we went to the altar. And, and it was bad. And I remember whipping that kid. And when I got done, I said, now, do you think different? No, sir. And it hit me, and I won't go into the whole story. It hit me at some point in that this kid is not going to be fixed by my whipping. That was a tough lesson. And it's not that I was trying to be prideful before that. I just assumed that's the way God, God gives us. He said, you're to correct your child. So I just assumed God would give me the grace and the gift of being a good discipliner when it comes to whipping. I mean, I could put a hurting on you. And my kids would, you don't want dad to whip you. Well, long and short, the next day, he did, or sometime after, he did it again, and I whipped him and nothing. And me and my wife looked at each other, and we said, we've never had a kid like this before. Now what do we do? Well, what we should have been doing all along. I got so burdened every night after that child went to bed. I waited till they were asleep. My wife would pray in her room many times, and I would go lay at the foot of that child's bed. And for an hour or better, I would lay there and weep, and I'd say, God, please help us. God, this is the only kid I've ever had that I ain't been able to break. God, I can't break them, but if we don't fix this now, we're going to have problems later on. It took a couple weeks, if I remember properly. And I said, God, every night I would go lay and pray. In the morning I would pray. He took up a lot of my prayer time. Just, God, please work. And one day, out of the blue, he comes walking into the room one evening to his mama. Tears running down his face. Mom, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have lied. I shouldn't have did what I did. I've been wrong, and I don't think you and Dad are stupid. And from that day to this, that kid's been fixed. Want to know why? Because God did the fixing. Are we depending on us or God for every area of our life? That can be a, I know it's easy to say, oh yeah, I'm depending on God. That can be a hard lesson, but it's one that we need to learn. I'm saying Joseph took control of their purse. He took control of their possessions. Everything that they had now belonged to him. But notice number three in verses 18 through 20, he took control of their property. When their money was exhausted and their possessions were gone, they give Joseph their land. And it all comes under the control of the throne. I just ask you again, everything we possess, should it not be relinquished to God for Him to use as He sees fit? After all, it come from Him anyway. Every good and every perfect gift cometh from the Father. Everything we have is His. In verses 19 and 21, He took, this is important, He took control of their person. When their money their possessions, their property is gone. They willingly give themselves up to be the servants of Pharaoh in exchange for food to eat. Can I ask you tonight, shouldn't we consider self? Sometimes we're able to give up everything we own, but we keep back our own selves. You ever notice that, Pastor? 
We're, 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 we give our money, we give of our time, we, we'll do the things that we know we're supposed to do, but we really haven't completely surrendered me. Can I tell you tonight what God wants in that offering plate? It's really not your money. It's you. I thought about it multiple times over the years. I, one service, I would have loved to have a big offering plate made, put it in the center of the church and just say, how many is willing to give an offering tonight? Because what, if he has you, he's got your purse. He's got your possessions. If he has you, he's got everything. And the problem is, is that many times we're willing to give everything we own, but we keep ourselves back for our own use. He wants us to surrender the totality of ourselves to him for his glory. By the way, if you're saved, he already owns you, does he not? He took control of their person. Verse number 21, he took control of their positions. Look at it. As for the people, he removed them to cities from one end of the borders of Egypt, even to the other end thereof. Joseph moved the people from the country and the outlying areas. He brought them into the cities where work and food could be distributed more easily and easily managed. And just a reminder to you and I tonight, you and I really ought to have no say in where we go or what we do or where we live. We belong to Him and He chooses where we serve and how long we serve and what happens while we serve there. He's the Lord of His people. How did they make it through this? They listened to Joseph and they brought everything under His control. Notice in verses 23 through 26, look at it. Joseph said unto the people, I bought you this day in your land. Pharaoh, lo, here is seed for you, and ye shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass in the increase that you will give the fifth part unto Pharaoh. Four parts will be your own, for the for shall be your own for seed of the field and for your food, and for them are your households, and for food for your little ones. They he took control, if I can put it this way, of their production. At the end of the famine, everything in Egypt was under the control of the throne. Joseph was in absolute control over everything and over every person in the land of Egypt. He graciously gave the people seed to sow on the land and allowed them to keep 80% of everything they raised. Everything they produced was subject to a 20% tax. That's what Joseph did to be sure that the grain would last during the famine. This is what he did to ensure the people would succeed after the famine. Everything Egypt produced was brought under the authority of the throne. Now may I say God doesn't ask you and I to give him 20%. He, great, he doesn't even ask us to give 10% if you want to know the truth. He asks us to give him 100% of everything we have. When we do, He will show us how much of that 100% He wants to invest in His work and how much of that 100% we can keep for our own use. Our checkbooks, everything we have need to be brought under His control. Can I ask you tonight, you know, people say, well, preacher, you know, if I give 10%, that only leaves me with 90. No, you're looking at that all wrong. If I give you a $100 bill, I'm not going to because I don't have it to give. And I made the mistake of one time doing it and the person didn't want to give it back. So we're just going to verbally give the illustration. If I give Brother Austin $100 
I said, now, Brother Austin, I'm going to give you $100. I want you to give me $20 back. Would Austin say, he's making me give him $20? No, he's going to say, man, he's letting me keep 80 out of 100 that wasn't mine to begin with. See, we're looking at this all wrong. When we talk about tithing, well, God's making me give 10. No, no, he's letting you keep 90 of what's his anyway. If you give 20, you're not keeping, you're not having to give 20, you're getting to keep 80 of what's not yours anyway because it belongs to him. Do we understand that tonight? Now, some people criticize Joseph for his tactics in these verses. They see him creating a system where everything's controlled by a central power. No one owns land. No one's on houses. No one gets ahead in a system like that. Some people have a hard time believing he instituted a 20% income tax. I wish that's all we paid. Income tax, Social Security tax, gas tax, road tax, county tax, city tax, sales tax, usage tax, assorted user fees, and multiple other taxes that only Michigan can come up with. Do you know what's amazing, Brother Joe? The people did not criticize Joseph. Look at verse number 25. Let's look at what they thought of what Joseph did. And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. They saw him as a savior. Now, is not Joseph a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? The same advice that Pharaoh gave to Egypt regarding Joseph was giving to us regarding Jesus. Just do what he says. In Egypt, Joseph's desire was to bring everything under his control. And he knew that unless he could consolidate power in Egypt, he knew the country would tear itself apart when the famine come. He knew the rich would oppress the poor. He knew the nation would be ripped to pieces by rebellion, revolution, and upheaval. To stop that from happening, Joseph took control of everything and brought it under his authority. You want to know how to stop rebellion? You want to know how to stop disunity? You want to know how to stop problems? When a church, when a family, when an individual just brings everything under his control. Joseph possesses the same desire, or Jesus possesses the same desire as Joseph in our lives, and I'm done. He knows that if we're left to ourselves, we will bring our lives to ruin. But if we'll yield control of everything we have, and everything we are to him and his authority... He can bless us and use us beyond our wildest dreams, even during a famine and turbulent, troubled times. Are the areas of your life I mentioned under His control tonight? Preacher, you didn't talk about giving money to missions. I think I did. Because I'm afraid that if we're not careful, we will let the famine we're in, the troubled times we're in, affect what we ought to be doing for God. Does He control your purse tonight? Your possessions, your property, your person, your position. Has everything been brought under control of the throne? That's, what, that's the message tonight. Joseph, would you say, Egypt come out of the famine? Would you say that for seven of the hardest years experienced in that day that they made it. Not only did they make it, but because they listened to Jesus, Joseph, understand one thing. Many people from other places were helped 
by their obedience. There's your missions aspect. If we would just simply obey Jesus, and if we would make the local church and our family and put everything from the church to our home to our family under His control, God will use us to feed the hungry and the destitute from places all over the world. But God cannot do it unless we bring everything under His control. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight.